Welcome back to another episode of the Student Athlete Sessions presented by D3 Direct. Today we are joined by uh, a guest that you know has been a long time coming. We've been trying to get him on the podcast, um, and this man is known widely as the king of D3 NIL. He is a Division Three football player at Amherst College. None other than Jack Betts today joins us on the program. Jack, welcome. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Jack, I think we'll start with uh, where we, we do with most guests. Just let the guests give quick intro. One thing that that um, people listening should know about, about you. Uh, yeah, absolutely. What's up, y'all? Jack Betts. Uh, I'm a senior football player at Amherst College. And yeah, I, I've done a lot of work in the NIL space at the Division three level. So that's just... Uh, something that sometimes my reputation can precede me. Yeah. And we'll, we'll break it down here. Cause I'm sure, you know, a lot of people do have questions and, and they want to know how a division three athlete has uh, made inroads in the NIL space. But um, no, I think to begin, let's, let's take it back to the start and how you, you know, even got the opportunity to be a D three athlete um, and, and to your recruiting process. And, what were some of the strategies strategies that worked for you there? And, and, and what point did you decide that you even wanted to play college sports? Yeah, so my recruiting process was a little bit, uh, you know, out of the ordinary. Um, I didn't really, we, we had no idea what we were doing. It was, it was a collective effort between my parents and I. My mother was doing a whole lot of research, um, just saying, you know, how do you get in front of coaches, you know, other than film, how else can you get in contact with these people that are going to be basically deciding your future? So I, so I guess we'll start my sophomore year of high school. My sophomore year of high school is really when I decided that I wanted to play ball at the next level, um, which led to me giving up my basketball and track and field dreams, unfortunately. So as I began being more dedicated to football going into that year, uh, I went to the Dartmouth summer you know football recruiting camp way up there in Dartmouth uh had a lot of fun and that's sort of where my journey began that's where I ran into coach Boussard who takes care of the Texas uh region recruiting we were in contact we stayed in contact uh junior year went to the Dartmouth camp again but I was more focused on just staying in Dallas um you know working on seven on seven just working with the team and it wasn't until my senior year that I kind of said to myself okay maybe I really do have potential because whether it be the conversations between him and I uh, that we've been sustaining, I sort of said to myself, okay, if I really want to get serious about this, I've got to find ways to get my name out there. I've got to find ways to get in front of more coaches. So going into my senior year, my mother and I were traveling all across the Northeast. Um, and I'll preface it by saying I've lived in the South my entire life. I decided that if I were to play at the next level, I probably would gravitate more towards the Northeast, just given the, you know, the academic and athletic uh, balances that many of those institutions really offer. So uh, I went to Princeton camp, obviously Dartmouth camp again, Amherst camp, uh, Georgetown. I was up there at one point as well. We had no idea what we were doing, but I really sort of made my money at the Dartmouth camp, uh, which is where I met coach Boussard at the Princeton camp, which is where I met the former Amherst wide receiver coach. So we really stayed in contact there. Um, and really from then on, we just kind of kept the conversation going and after my senior season, I was actually on vacation in Aspen for Thanksgiving. I got a call from Coach Mills, our head coach up at Amherst. And at this point, it was really between Dartmouth and Amherst. And he basically just told me, look, 
we really want you to come here. Um, I had early decision to Dartmouth because I'm of you know Native American heritage, very passionate about those. Uh, I'm also sort of minoring in Native American studies, but that's we'll get to that down down the line. And I rescinded my early decision from Dartmouth, sent it into Amherst, and I don't regret a single decision that I've made. Yeah, that's a great story, man. I, I feel like a couple a couple points that I think are key for for recruits who are listening to this is one, where you started, right? It wasn't like a middle of the way through your football season of senior season that you that you started thinking about this, right? It was sophomore year. Uh, something I'm curious about trying to help kids get a, get an understanding of like what level is right for them, you know? So you were talking about going back home or, or kind of being in the Dallas area, your junior year and working, doing seven, seven on seven skill development. Like, was there a moment there for you where you were starting to, like you said, get some traction? Maybe it was a coach was interested, or maybe you were like, I I'm beating this guy on a drill that I thought was better than me in the area, you know, like, yeah. yeah. How did, how did you get that context that you were a college player? Mm, great question. I think it was sort of going into my junior year where I was kind of saying, okay, well, I've got the older guys who are sort of ahead of me and they're getting looks, but I think that I'm kind of better in, in these certain fields. And I went to the SMU camp, which I live right down the street from SMU. Uh, and when I sort of saw, saw myself performing at a decently high level there, I think that just gave me the confidence to kind of tell myself, okay, this is a dream that I have and it is within reach. Why don't I, you know, maybe begin exploring the types of options that I've got in front of me? Because as I, I discussed it with my parents, I'm going to go, if I play college ball somewhere, we're going to use it strategically in which we can help me maybe get into a, a sort of a reach school. Uh, because at the end of the day, the goal was to go there and get a degree, not to go to the league. So that was just sort of the conversation that I had internally and externally with my parents, obviously, because they're really important in that whole process. But I don't know. I think a switch just sort of flipped my junior year as I began to go into the season, certainly get more playing time, get more reps, uh, get more films so I could start sending it out, sending that out to people. And then senior year is re really when I flipped the switch. I began going to these camps, really showing out. I had a really good Princeton camp, and that's when the Amherst wide receiver coach pulled me aside. Um, and I guess the rest is history. So what, what does that, what does that mean when you had a good camp? Like what, what elements of, of the camp did you feel like you excelled at that? Like a coach, you know, was able to point out. Yeah. I, I think the strongest parts of my game is like my footwork and agility abilities. Um, somebody of my size, you know, I'm six, four. So really having that type of skill set within my bag kind of set me apart. You know, I'm a, I'm a taller guy. I'm a lankier guy, but if you know some of my releases were more elite than some of maybe even the, the smaller guys who might have been a little bit quicker, a little bit faster than me, uh, that's something that really set me apart. And equally, just given you know my basketball history, um, I could go up and get the rebound. So when you've got that jump ball, we I don't know how I ran like two go routes, pulled them both down, and sort of caught it on the dude's head. So that's really when the Amherst coach eyes sort of widened. He's like, you know, we could really use a, a big play receiver like you uh, out there at Amherst. So <laughs> That's really my specialty, the the go and the jump ball. Uh, and I'm looking forward to producing some of those this fall, certainly. But it's so that's really the play that that got me here and, and set myself apart from the gotcha. from the latter group. 
Yeah. One last question on the recruiting front. Uh, you started out by saying that you and your parents had to do a lot of research, right? Yes. Oh. Who were you, did you feel like you were truly starting from zero or did you feel like you had other resources, maybe like an older friend, um, someone in the area, another family that had done it that you could copy or, or where did you have to start from? We have, we had a couple family friends who their sons were looking to play at the next level, but it never really came to fruition, unfortunately. So they had some tips and tricks for us. Uh, but we took it with a grain of salt just because he never really took that next step. He didn't get to the next level. Uh, but other than that, just was talking to my high school coach, seeing if he had any, any connections anywhere. Uh, the type of advice he had for somebody who was, you know, looking to play at the next level. We had a couple guys from my high school. Um, we're more of a, a lacrosse oriented high school, if you could believe that down here in Texas. But uh, yeah, we had a couple dudes before me who had gone to the next level. So reaching out to them, using them as resources was really helpful, uh, really integral in that process. Love it. And like you said, you ultimately pulled out your, uh, your application with Dartmouth and decided to go to Amherst. Um, and you are on the, on the verge of your uh, last season on the field. What have been some of your favorite moments so far and, and some of your goals for, for this season as you try to wrap up a great career? Favorite moments of the athletic career so far. Um, I think what really stands out to me goes all the way back to my first week on campus, uh, if you could believe it or not. So coming in first year from you know way down south, going all the way up to the northeast, I had no idea what to expect. Um, I was a little bit anxious, as you could imagine, you know, going in first first week of camp, not really knowing any of the older guys, barely knowing the dudes that I'm going to be going in with. I just remember how that really that sense of welcoming and the lack of sort of hierarchy that uh, I felt, you know, it felt like the upperclassmen had zero sense of, you know, we're upperclassmen, so we're much better than you just off rip. I think we came in all on sort of the same plane of equality. And that really helped the transition be that much easier. So that was something that was really memorable. I talk about that all the time, certainly with the first years that I've got under my belt coming in. I want to have them have that same feeling. But one of my best memories actually came like week is like week six or seven of the 2021 season. Um, I'll kind of like give you the Spark Notes version, but against Wes at Wesleyan, um, pouring all morning, the they had a grass field, absolute chaos. And so I remember we went into halftime down 14. Everybody was sort of distraught. We just felt so defeated. Coaches came in, gave us a little great pep talk. Captains came in and said, this game is far from over. You know, we've got a whole other half to play. We come out, tie the game. Rain is pouring. You know, it's muddy. The sidelines are absolutely waterlogged and there's mud everywhere. I remember in warmups, I was slipping and sliding. I had mud all over me by the end of the game. But we took it to overtime. And of course, as an LSU fan, I remember the NCAA changing the overtime rules because of that LSU A&M game back in like 2018 that went to like seven overtimes. So we get to like the third overtime and you got to start going for two, right? Um, come the fourth overtime, nobody had scored. Still 14-14. We're stuck neck and neck. And we get the ball first and fourth overtime. My quarterback snaps the ball fumbles the ball, the like all of the balls at this point, you, we usually come in with like five or six game balls. All of them are waterlogged. They're like 10 pounds, mud all over them. You can barely see the stripes. So he fumbles it, picks it up, runs out the pocket, like sidearms it to one of my teammates. 
He comes down with it in the end zone. Two-point conversion complete, 16-14, but we've got to get a stop. Sideline's going crazy. The fans who made it out are going crazy, and we've got to get a stop. So they line up. Somehow we get the stop. They chuck it to one of their you know tall receivers, nowhere even close. We rush onto the field, and keep in mind the previous year uh, when we played Wesleyan at home for our homecoming, they had sort of gone out into the field, done some post-game antics on the, the big A crest in the middle of the field. I won't get into the details, but uh, probably wasn't the best decision. But as you know, that whistle blew and that final horn really came out, uh, all of us rushed onto the field, started slipping and sliding all over the Wesleyan W. So uh, that's really a core memory. Probably wasn't the best display of sportsmanship, but it was a lot of fun and just definitely one of the best experiences in my college career so far. Yeah, man, especially after that type of a halftime comeback. So you guys are down 14-0 <laughs> and rolled yep. back. That's 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 one you'll remember forever. And and I'm sure the fans that were there will also remember having to make that trip and and sit for three to four hours in the rain. So I don't know. I don't know how they did it, but I'm glad they did because it was a sweet victory. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Yeah. On one thing you said a little earlier about, you know, just like how welcoming the upperclassmen were to you. Mm-hmm. What do you feel like you and your seniors are going to try to do this year? If, if you can give specifics to, to carry on that culture and because it, it, it's all about, you know, leadership and, and what mm-hmm. the seniors establish as they leave. Right. Uh, so you have an opportunity to leave your legacy on the program. Um, I guess w- what have you thought about doing this year or efforts to try to make those guys feel comfortable and know know what to expect at Amherst football yeah so when I came in we actually had like like three or four senior receivers in the wide receiver room um, which is a little bit different than how we're operating this year I guess I'm technically a fifth year or whatever however you want to call it Uh, I'm graduating in graduating in December and then we have one other dude who's graduating in the spring so he and I we've had some conversations we've thought about with some of the other upperclassmen some of the juniors how do we want to continue to sort of establish and keep that culture going that there's no hierarchy within wide receiver room? The best dudes are going to play regardless of what class year you are. Uh, and we've thought about it. And really, it's just it could be simple as you know hopping on a group FaceTime like we did last night and just sort of sharing, you know, OK, what did you do this past week that wasn't required of you, but you decided to do it because you knew it was going to get you better? Um, we've also started something in which somebody once per week, we'll send a video. Um, last, goodness gracious, last night's video was fantastic. Um, if I can pull it up right quick, um, it was Admiral William McRaven's speech about like making your bed and how important it is just to get that first task done. So all of us watched that video collectively and we each brought a piece of knowledge or a piece that we gathered from it. So just sort of those types of practices that can help everybody sort of feel on the same plane, regardless if you know, those first years haven't even stepped foot onto campus yet. And they haven't really met any of us yet. We're all sort of coming in on the same page and sort of being like, look, if we're going to succeed on the field, we've got to make sure that we're all on the same page off the field. Um, Regardless of where we're coming from, you know, we've got kids from the West Coast, kids from the South, myself, uh, kids who live literally just down the street from Amherst College. It's really important that regardless of all of our backgrounds, we all come in with the same goal in mind and the same common denominator, which is we want to win an SCAC championship. Uh, And I think a lot of the practices we're putting forth will help us get to that end goal. So those are just a couple of the tidbits. I can't give out too much, of course. 
That's right. At some point, it's trade secret. I and I respect that. I, I appreciate you sharing something with the listeners. But uh, you know, uh, I think I think if if anyone wants to see how it turns out and whether or not these things have been successful, then they need to check out the uh, the live streams of your games this fall. And if if they can't make all of them, then it sounds like they need to at least check out the Wesleyan grudge yeah. match because oh, that's yeah. uh, <laughs> is it's going to be at Amherst your last one. This will be at Amherst. Yes, sir. We've uh, we've got five home games this year, four away games. Um, and of course, that Williams game at the end of the year is always a bloodbath. So really looking forward yeah. to it. And hopefully I can end off my career on a high point. Yeah. Yeah. And and switching gears now to uh, that's on the field, but off the field, ending your career on a high point. What does a successful end of your NIL career look like to Jack Betts? See, that's a great question. Um, we talk about the end of the career, but the career might not necessarily be ending in December. I, I will give a, a little insight. Um, I will be touring a couple of schools this summer. Uh, I have one or two years of COVID eligibility, but it all depends if the body can take it. But to answer your question, I don't know. I, I think you you mentioned the word legacy, which is something that's really important to me. Uh, in my NIL career, when that started way back in January of 2022, um, I sort of looked around the D3 space and when nothing came, I did a lot of research, like what all is going on in the D3 space with NIL? Nothing came back. Search came back empty. So I told myself, why can't I be the one, you know, why not me? Why can't I be the one who really shakes things up and begins to change that momentum? And as I began to find my own success, other Division Three athletes began reaching out to me and asking for tips and tricks, and that's where the Make Your Own Legacy Academy was founded. Um, you know, right now I I'm the founder of the Make Your Own Legacy Academy, which is a first of its kind NIL education solution uh, that works to service and really help out the underserved and underrecognized Division Three athletes, mainly Division Three athletes, but we've got athletes at the Division One level as well. So that's really what I've been focused on the most right now. I think that's something that will extend far beyond my time as an athlete. Um, the number one goal that I've had in mind is you know, leave it better than I found it. When I found it, there was nothing going on at the Division three level. Uh, and when I'm leaving it, hopefully there's going to be a lot of reverberations uh, and hopefully a lot of momentum is being created. I know a lot of the Division three athletes that I've worked with, they've closed you know, one, two, five, however many NIL deals, and that's really fulfilling for me. So regardless of how many NIL, NIL deals I get personally, I could care less. It's really about, you know, helping others. And that's one of my major passions is education. So education of others as well. Love it. Yep. Definitely something I wanted to touch on with MYOL. If, if people don't know, Jack is, uh, there've been a you know flurry of, of announcements recently of new athletes joining on and into the fold. And it's a pretty cool initiative. Um, you can definitely check them out where on Instagram and, uh, Twitter. Do you have a website yet? Uh, Instagram is going to be our main place of work. Uh, the website, not at the moment, but on my website, jack-bets.com, we do have a section all about it. So you can read a lot more about that uh, on there as well. Yeah, definitely. If you're a D3 athlete listening to this, check that out because um, as Jack indicated, there really aren't many resources tailored for for the small college athlete and to get insight and advice from someone who's who's lived it, who's done it, and who's succeeded in that space is, is pretty invaluable. Um, you talked about wanting to help the, you know, the underrepresented. Um, 
I'm curious, have, have, um, you know, like you said, you're, you're Native American. Have you, have you had contact with other Native American athletes who are interested in trying to explore the, the NIL space and, and what have those interactions been like? Absolutely. Yeah. We've got uh, several Native American athletes actually in the academy. Um, sort of our poster child is uh, Silent Rain Espinosa, who just recently graduated from the University of Washington. Um, she's a softball player, incredible individual, but even more phenomenal of an athlete. She led uh, the University of Washington softball team to, you know, the, I can't remember, they just recently got eliminated. I can't remember if it was the Super Regionals. Uh, I'm not entirely sure, but she's just been a wonderful individual. We've got a couple other athletes um, in the academy who are of Native American descent. And that's just been something to me that's been super fulfilling because um, I'm actually adopted. I didn't grow up within the you know traditional uh, you know Native American household. I grew up away from tradition. And so just sort of getting back to those roots, certainly as a Native American studies minor, uh, but also putting it into practice, putting those things that I've learned from my time, um, you know, as an academic into how I could sort of, I don't know, maybe, maybe make a career out of it. We'll have to see. Yeah, no, I mean, it definitely feels like even the way you're marketing it and the, and, and just the, the value proposition that, and the amount of people that are, are curious about it um, definitely feels like there's room to grow and um, that you have the expertise that, that would could help do that. So um, yeah, let's maybe dial it back a little to your own personal experience. Um, you got your start. I, I believe both your parents are lawyers, right? Yes, indeed. I re remember correctly. And you got your start during a, a, a short break from school. Is that right? Correct. Well, Sort of a short break. Uh, my NIL career began uh, January of 2022, right before I took my gap semester from Amherst. And, and when did it went into effect in September, right? The a couple months prior? The NIL legislation? July yeah. 2021. So oh, July. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I took a, a, a little six month hiatus as I watched things fly by my face. That's right. And <laughs> And if, yeah, your first deal, walk us through that process. I think it was a, it was a wristband or, or something, right? Yes. Yes. You'd be correct. Um, you know, when people ask for NIL advice, I always talk about the importance of being proactive. Um, but this one just sort of fell into my lap. I don't know if, you know, it, it's better to be lucky than good. Uh, I'll give a shout out to Austin Peck. That's one of his favorite sayings, but yeah, it, it was a uh, wristband company, Lifestyle Bands. I've got them on right here. The white one, it reads, if you're guarding me, it's too late. So a shout out to the Drake album. Um, but yeah, they essentially, I was just sort of sitting up here in this room. I think I was like building a Lego set or something because I was on break. I had nothing really better to do. Both of my parents were on conference calls downstairs. So I certainly wasn't going to butt into that. But I get a notification on Instagram at this point, you know, 2000 followers, private Instagram account. So you've got, you know, how the requests come in and I start looking through them and it's this lifestyle bands account saying, would you be interested in joining our, you know, NIL group of athletes who represent our brand and as ambassadors, um, you know, it's an affiliate based deal, yada, yada. And I just sort of said to myself, okay, this might be the break that I've been looking for because, you know, I'm seeing the Caleb Williams, the Bryce Youngs of the world getting these million dollar income opportunities just sort of handed to them. So I'd been looking for some sort of an in. And really when that came, uh, that was exactly what I was looking for. 
they sent me a couple free products uh, in exchange for some, you know, social media promotion. Uh, when I first posted that graphic saying I'm officially a lifestyle bands athlete, I think I must have gotten like 30 text messages from, you know, teammates and coaches alike saying, oh, you're a sponsored athlete now. Uh, little did they know where I was going to take it. So uh, had it not been for that first interaction and that first uh, sort of introduction to the space of NIL, I wouldn't be on the podcast today. I wouldn't be in the you know, unbelievable position I am. Uh, and I certainly wouldn't have a portfolio of, you know, 40 plus NIL partnerships under my belt. Yeah. Yeah. For, uh, yeah, it, it is. I, I think it's always easy to, to look back and kind of romanticize like the, the end product. Like I'm sure a lot of people that you meet for the, for those who, who aren't aware, Jack was just uh, attended his second uh, NIL summit down at the college football hall of fame in Atlanta, Georgia, mm -hmm which we can dive into in a second. Um, but I think it is easy to look back and in retrospect, you know, be like, wow, Jack did it, you know, uh, but maybe I can't, you know, it's not, it, it's hard to imagine where you had to start from. And, and like you said, you need to be proactive. And so for, for a division three athlete, maybe a, a freshman uh, football player on Nebraska Wesleyan's team, right. Do you, what's your advice? Should they start with affiliate style deals like that? Or, or is there another tact that, that you would pitch? It is difficult because some deals are better for others and there really is no one size fit all approach. Um, as I began sort of looking out and searching, beginning my career in sort of, you know, okay, the first one came to me. Now, how, how am I going to get the other ones? I got to go out and get them. Right. So I don't know it. I don't want to say take anything you can get because that's really dangerous advice. And I know some athletes who are really just in it for the monetary compensation. Um, they see a couple of dollars fly in front of their face. They're going to jump at it. But it really is important to consider, you know, what type of brands do you see yourself working with? What type of messages do the partners that you want to seek partnerships with? What sort of messages are they displaying with their products? So it's, you know, I, I'd recommend, um, reaching out to brands that you think you would fit best, begin selling yourself, selling to these brands as to why they would benefit from having a Jack Betts on their team, uh, why they would benefit from having, you know, an, an individual who might be coming from a lower division. I know for a lot of the brands that I work with, I am their first division three athlete and they took a chance on me. And, and I'm really grateful for that. So I sold myself as Jack Betts as the athlete entrepreneur or simply just entrepreneur in some cases, as opposed to Jack Betts, the athlete, like a lot of our division one counterparts might be able to do. So you just got to find the the deal that fits you best. I know a lot of the deals that I have um, are affiliate marketing based compensation, as well as some free product product just given up front. So it's, there are a lot of options out there and you've just got to find the one that's best for you. Yeah. Yeah. Any, uh, you, you talked about your, your teammates and your coaches getting kind of fired up about, about that first deal, despite it being, like you said, a little, you know, a small, them not really understanding the, the underlying economics of it, but has it been fun to, you know, to, to spread the gospel amongst your teammates and, and, and would you say that Amherst football is the most NIL savvy team in all of D3 athletics? Or is there another team you've seen that's done it better? Now, that would be an incredible title to claim. Um, I'm not entirely sure if there's a lot of credibility behind that one, but you've got the powerhouse in me, 
Uh, and you've got a couple other teammates who are definitely interested in uh, definitely interested in it. You know, the the soft the now sophomore class had the most uh, individuals who were sort of inclined to reach out to me and be like, hey, how do I get in it? You know, how do I start? Uh, which I've been surprised at Amherst that there hasn't been more, I guess, people sort of like that. Um, I know people who go to Amherst are there to get their degree and get out. That's one of, you know, basically the underlying uh, motivation to go to a school like Amherst. But I don't know. I I wish there were some more folks on the team who would reach out. I know a lot of the incoming first years have definitely uh, made some moves towards, you know, hey, Betsy, how, how, can, how can I get in on this? So we'll, we'll have to see. I, I'm hoping that setting this tone and helping out the sophomores and the first years that are coming in. I'm hoping that they'll begin to have a lot of success. I know a couple of them, one of my good friends, Jovi, who's also a wide receiver, he partnered with DoorDash recent, recently. So that's a pretty big name. Uh, really proud of him. He's just a very entrepreneurially inclined individual. And I'm you know really happy that he's in the wide receiver room, but we'll have to see. I, I hope that in the future, Amherst can sort of be an NIL powerhouse more than it is already. Yeah. And from a from a school perspective, I, I'm not sure how much you've been following the collective, you know, the growth of collectives and the impacts they have at the Division One level. I know there have been a few at the D3 level. Uh, Pacific Lutheran is is one that I've seen, and there was a, there was another one recently, the Knights Table Collective that is a D3 in Virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, what would what do you feel like the appropriate role for a school is in the NIL space? Mm-hmm. Do you feel like I'll just leave it there. What is the appropriate role for, for a D3 school? I think it all depends on the institution. Um, if you're talking about like a Stanford or like a Florida or one of these major schools that have incredible athletic achievement under their belt. I mean, even in Alabama, I keep mentioning Bryce Young just because I'm an LSU fan and I've watched him torch my team several times. Um, but I don't know if you're talking about one of those major schools, it is a little bit more difficult to say how much they should be involved because we've been seeing some of the horror stories that are coming out of like the university of Miami about, you know, sort of paying athletes to come to schools like that. And I'm not singling out Miami. It's happening all across the country. It's awfully prevalent, but it's difficult to say. But if you measure that up to like a school like Amherst, who I've sat down with the president of Amherst, we just recently appointed, you know, Michael Elliott. Um, shout out to my guy, uh, Michael Elliott. I sat down with him and sort of talked to him about the value behind these sort of NIL endeavors and how sure, maybe the short term compensation is nice. But what I value the most is the professional bag that I'm developing, uh, to, you know, for a lack of better terms, I- I'm learning how to be in contact with entrepreneurs and CEOs and CFOs and speak to these executives on the daily. I'm developing these professional skills, not only in, you know, conversations, but marketing and advertising and everything that comes with being in, you know, NIL. So at the division three level, I certainly think there might be a different level of involvement just because if these institutions really begin to see that the value that these sort of endeavors can bring to their athletes and how it really can set them up for success, because I don't know the last time an Amherst football player went to the NFL, but you know, stranger things have happened. So I don't know. I I think there are, a lot of conversations that have been had that need to be had. Um, but it really is tough to say for an individual who's only been working in it 17, 18 months more on the side of uh, the athlete side of things, as opposed to the administrative side of things. Right. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think if anything, you know, the conversation directly is helpful. But but if anything, you know, your your outlook on the space and and your goals, like you, you said, to leave it one, leave it better than you found it, and two, develop those 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 career skills. I, I think anyone who looks at the content that came out of the NIL summit would would see that as a billboard for Absolutely. you know why NIL is positive, right? Jack Betts is on a, a panel presenting, he's dressed up. <laughs> Uh, and, and you also had a, a sponsorship, it seemed like with Invesco QQQ, which is, mm-hmm. you know, a, a far cry from a, from a bracelet, um, company, no, no, no disrespect to lifestyle brands. Um, but yeah, I mean, w- walk us through that experience and, um, what you feel like you got out of it and maybe, yeah, just, yeah. Go yeah. That. The, 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 so the second annual NIL summit, um, in a nutshell, Wow. I remember last year when I went student athlete delegate for Amherst college, I'm introducing myself. Hey, wide receiver at Amherst college. People are like, where is that? What division is that in? I'm like, Oh, division three, you know, we've got to represent. And people basically said, I didn't even know NIL was the thing in division three. So that was sort of the overall reaction. And when I returned home, I told my parents and I told myself, number one, I said this in my acceptance speech, number one, uh, I'd be speaking on a panel. So that was a check. Shout out Invesco QQQ. Thank you all for that opportunity. Uh, Number two, I was going to be nominated for an award. And number three, I was going to take that award home. Um, So, you know, I was the this year's Hustle Award winner. Shout out my guy, Raekwon Smith, who won it last year. We spoke it to existence that we were going to go back to back. One of my really good friends. But this year was just unbelievable, completely different because, you know, as opposed to me introducing myself to a bunch of folks, folks were introducing themselves to me, um, which was just an unbelievable honor. Uh, I can't believe a division three individual like myself was in that position to begin with. But, you know, I really, I learned, I think I learned the most last year. Um, I learned the value of networking. I learned so much on the panels. Uh, We had Tim Tebow speaking on one and he just it was an athlete exclusive one. So he just sort of spoke on the the importance of beginning to sort of look towards your future and how your time as an athlete is finite. So you've, you've got to begin, you know, looking beyond that. Um, obviously he was blessed to go to the next level. I'm not sure I'm going to be playing for the Denver Broncos or, you know, New York jets, but who knows? Uh, but this year it was just a fantastic experience because of my involvement, you know, obviously Saturday night with the awards, uh, being nominated up there with unbelievable names like Angel Reese, which as an LSU fan, kind of hard to believe that I beat her out for the Hustle Award. But uh, yeah, and, and then obviously Sunday with the panel with Invesco QQQ, which was really focused on how to be a young person uh, and not suck at money. Uh, I gave advice based on, I spoke of my experience of, yeah, while I might not be making a lot of money, I've got to find ways in which I can really make my money work for me, whether it be di- diversifying my portfolio, uh, begin looking towards ways in which I can invest uh, and really make my money sort of work for me while I sleep was one of the best terms that I heard one of my fellow panelists um, you know, kind of say. So unbelievable experience. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to be back there this time next year. I think that wholly depends on whether my athletic career extends beyond Amherst, but We'll just have to see. Uh, I think that what they are doing, what influencer is doing with sponsoring the type of event like the NIL summit is really groundbreaking because you bring together all of these unbelievable minds who are heavily involved in the space of NIL. You know, you've got media folks who are there, you've got brands and, and sponsors there, and then you've got 
arguably some of the most important people to NIL, the athletes themselves. So not only did my professional network get better this past weekend, but also my athletic network got better this past weekend, which I sort of enjoyed the most. Absolutely, man. Yeah, it seems like a really cool experience. And, and you know, as you hinted earlier, maybe maybe your your athletic career doesn't end at Amherst and and there's a fair chance you're you're back at a at a 2024 edition of the summit. Um, but you know, I think for now, never try to plan out too far in the future, just appreciate where we are in the moment. And uh, you got so much to look forward to this year, man, uh, with your career and, you know, reaping the fruits of, of your labor from, from early on in your, in your career from an NIL perspective as well. So, um, I think just one question we always try to ask every athlete that comes on here, you can take this however you want, whether sports, academics, NIL. Um, but what would your advice be to an 18-year-old, 17-year-old who says, you know, I want to play a sport, my sport in college? Mm. If I think back to maybe the advice I'd give to my 18-year-old self, um, I think that's really going to help me answer the question the best. I think the word it really comes back to is proactivity. Um, that's really applicable in, in all facets, facets of life. It is probably one of the most important skills that you could learn. Uh, reach out to those coaches, you know, be proactive, send your film to those coaches, spend some extra time and have those important conversations, maybe after camp with those coaches, get their phone number, be sure you follow up with them because you've got to find ways in which you could separate yourself from the masses, um, differentiating yourself, differentiating yourself from you know, the thousands of other athletes that these coaches are speaking to is going to get you and put you in a really good position. Um, I don't know how I did it myself. I couldn't really tell you. I remember my wide receiver coach, uh, former wide receiver coach, who's now at one of our rivals, shout out coach Thompson and Bates. Uh, he basically told me like, yeah, all I remember is like watching a couple clips from your senior year, senior year film. I don't even remember if I got your entire senior year film. And I'm like, okay, that's mildly concerning, but I'm here. I guess that's really what matters at the end of the day. Uh, but yeah, just being proactive, making sure that you're on top of things and realizing that nothing in life is going to be handed to you. You've really got to work uh, at everything that you want. And if you have that drive and you have that passion to succeed, then the sky is really the limit. Um, th those are basically the key pieces of advice I'd give out. Yeah, it's all good stuff. And it, and it, and it applies like across the board as we've as we've seen today and jack's not only uh recruiting experience you know his his experience on the field uh, as an athlete and then also in the in the nil space just to continue to push for what you want and and you never know how that that break's going to come but like your friend says better to be lucky than good right amen amen so um jack appreciate you coming on taking the time out of your busy schedule i know you got a lot a lot going on this summer but um just again, I know we, we mentioned earlier, MYOL, Make Your Own Legacy Academy. Jack said Instagram is going to be the best place for that. Mm -hmm. They've been having a ton of new athletes join up. Um, if you are interested in the D3 it, or in, in NIL generally, and you don't know where to start, Jack is a great resource for that. And I'm sure it's only going to grow uh, in the future. So hit them up. Um, if you want other recruiting perspectives, <clears throat> we have a ton of episodes of this podcast. You can check those out in our uh, in the link of our bio on Instagram or Twitter. 
um, athletes just like Jack who have also gone through the experience and we're trying to gather up all that information. Um, so no one else has to start at zero in their own process. So again, Jack, thanks for taking the time, man. Anything you want to leave the listeners with? Uh, no, I mean, other than, you know, I'm grateful that you invited me on, like you said, it's been a long time coming and I'm glad we're finally here. So thank you for having me on. It was a really great experience. Exactly, man. Stay in touch. We might have to do a part two down the road. Oh, absolutely. You know how to find me. All right. That's it. This has been another episode of the student athlete sessions presented by D3 direct, uh, tune in next week for a former D3 basketball player that is now starting a nonprofit looking to help the community that he grew up in. Thanks again. Bye.